0: So, Father, we just we thank you. I just thank you for what you're doing in this, in this space. And, I, and we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak. Come and speak. Come, come use your scriptures. Come use your word to open our hearts to more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. And yeah, I was really caught up today just in the worship, you know, even the song, I want to know how high, how deep, how wide is the love of Christ. Yeah, I want to know it. And I'm, I'm hoping today that through what I'm sharing with you all, like, that's the goal. Would, you, would we all together grow and learn and understand the love of Christ that has captured captured each and every one of us? And if it hasn't captured you, I bet today it will. And, and would we know it, the depth of his heart? Would we know the sacrifice that he made and the value of our own lives because, because of his death and resurrection? Um, and so I'm, I'm hopeful that that will come through today and what I'm sharing. Um, my title for today's message is A Different Kind of King. And I want to talk about Jesus as King. And, and really, you know, I, I've been sharing a bit about the book of Revelation. And so I'm going to get into that a bit because we see Jesus as King um, in that book. And we've been, of course, sharing through Easter about Christ's death and resurrection and, and I, I want to share about that component as well, how it establishes and shows Jesus as king, king of the earth, Lord of lords, king of kings, king of the Jews, and now king over this, over the world. And so I, I think for me, I, I haven't, there's a richness of this topic in the scriptures that I'm just now starting to grab a hold of, and it's, it's making me fall more in love with Jesus. <laughs> it's beautiful. And so I want to take you through that today. Um, I, uh, so when I, just a quick story, when I first got married, uh, my wife and I, I was the, the grocery guy, right? So my wife, she was, she's a better chef than me, and so she would make the list, and she put together the meals, and I go out and buy the groceries. So she'd give me a list and have my items and I go out, and I struggled with the, with the vegetable items, I'll be honest with you. I didn't eat a lot of vegetables as a child. And so when I you know, go in the vegetable section, I was like, cucumber or squash? I, I don't know which, which is which. <laughs> I really didn't know. So, so anyway, there's a few items that I have a problem with, but normally I did pretty well. And so, so one day I, I bring the groceries back, and Vanessa, my wife, is in the cupboard, and she's like, hey, I, I told you to get maple syrup, what is what is Mrs. Butterworth doing in the cabinetry (laughs) what do you mean it's syrup it's maple syrup that what are you talking about and so you know this conversation ensued and she's like no you know actually that's just a bunch of chemicals like that's not like maybe there's some syrup in there like real maple syrup but that's not maple syrup and I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I grew up eating this maple syrup every week after on top of my microwaved pancakes. <laughs> so you microwave the pancake, you throw it in, you dump, you dump, uh, you know, Miss Butterworth on top. And there's your there's your breakfast. And so she's telling me that, uh, that that's just not true. Like, that's not syrup. And <laughs> and it, it, it occurred to me, it's so funny when you when you're just used to eating something or agreeing with something and you think that that's, that, that is what it is, you, you can believe a lie really quickly about what's the true concentration of what you're digesting, what you're eating, right? And you start to think, this is real maple syrup, and it's not maple syrup. It's, it's not. But I, I ate it for so long that I, I believed it. And, and so I, I want to propose to you today that the gospel message itself some of us, and I'm included in some of us, we've, we've heard that message a certain way, we've, we've, we've drank it and ate it in a certain way, and it's not the reality of what the scripture says the gospel really is, all right? So we've, been, we've got the Mrs. Butterworth, and it's good, and it's tasty, and it's sugary, but is, does it have the substance that the scriptures say? Is the gospel true to what the word of God really says? And for me, the, the point that, you know, you could take this a lot of different angles, but for me, the point that I've been so challenged on and over the past couple of years is, for me, the gospel was so s- centered on salvation, on just me being saved and going to heaven and enjoying time with God. So one day, you know, your kids are always, my kids are always asking me, it's like, yep, when you die, you're going you're gonna to get saved, you're going go to heaven, it's going to be great. And the gospel really is about how you get saved. I'm telling you, that's not the full gospel message. Salvation is a component, and it's an important one. And it's certainly, you know, it's not Miss Butterworth, all right? That's chemicals. Like, salvation is real. It's important. It's concentrated. It's deep, all right? I'm not saying that. But there's so much more to the gospel than just being saved and, and escaping this world to, to get to be in relationship with God. That's huge, but that's not the gospel, In its entirety, and so if we if we see the gospel as just salvation, then we will only see Jesus as a savior. But if we see the gospel as the kingdom of God coming, His kingdom rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven, then Jesus isn't just a savior; He's a king with authority with power and with a mission that he wants you and I to partner with. See, one can be a bit passive. The salvation message taken in the wrong way can be very passive. It can be very, well, I'm saved, I'm in, and I hope a few other people learn about it, and that'll be great. They'll come with me, you know, and Grandma will be there, and be great. Um, But the gospel of the kingdom, this is what Jesus preached, and it had to do with heaven and earth actually coming together a new heaven and a new earth, and and that's where things are going. That's that's the narrative of the Bible that i missed for so long. I didn't see the big narrative, and so today, I want to dig into that narrative, and I want to know Jesus as king and to see his kingdom domain. Now, when I say kingdom, the kingdom of God, it's the the definition, in a sense, is is where God reigns, the place where he reigns, the manifestation of God's reign, that's the kingdom of God. And Jesus ushered that in. And so when we think about that, we think, we can think about, well, you know, Jesus, he saved me from my sin, and, which is pretty darn pivotal. And we need to be forgiven. You know, the scriptures say, all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has gone his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. That's huge. That's crucial. We need a Savior desperately. We can't do it on our own. Sin had its hold on us. Death, we were, we were completely um, overcome by death until Jesus came and died for us. This is real. This, this salvation message is real and important. But a king, the kingdom, the authority of Jesus, it, it's, it's salvation unto something else, something bigger, something that is going to transform this earth, and the heavens themselves. And so the kingdom of God is really where it's all going. That's why we are saved. That's what we get to enjoy in this life. tell you, in this life, you get to enjoy the kingdom and even much more in its fulfillment when Jesus returns. That's where things are going, and so I want to be aware of it. Now, Jesus as the king is one of the main themes you actually see throughout the Gospels, And I I challenge you, go and look at the Gospels and and view it in that lens. You will be amazed at what you find. Even in the book of Matthew specifically, the book of Matthew starts out with the the genealogy of Jesus, and it connects him in that genealogy to King David. And they're saying this Jesus is the Messiah who's coming to rule as king of the Jews just as they said he would from the line of David. Now, if you remember in the very first chapter of, of Matthew, the who comes? The wise men show up, and who are they looking for? The king of the Jews. They they understand based on the stars, and maybe maybe they had some prophetic stuff from Daniel. They understand that the king of the Jews, who is going to become the king of the world, is here. He's in Jerusalem, and so they're looking. Well, he wasn't. They thought he might, because that's where kings live. But they ended up finding him in Bethlehem, right? And so. Right there in the beginning, that's the focus of the gospel of Matthew. Let's go to the end of the gospel. Jesus is on the cross, and what is above him? What is written? Pontius Pilate puts it there, and he says, it says, this is Jesus, king of the Jews, written above his head. And the Jewish leaders, the chief priests, they protested because they said, no, it should say who claimed to be king of the Jews. And Pilate said, no, I've written what I've written. It's going to say this. Yeah. This is the narrative of the book of Matthew and the Gospels themselves. It's Jesus becoming king. So let's look at Pilate a second. So Pilate, Pontius Pilate, he was the governor of the Roman province of Judea. Rome, the Roman Empire was vast at that time. And they were the oppressors, right, over Jerusalem and that area um, in that day. So Pilate, he comes, and I want to turn to John 18, in John 18, Pilate comes, and he, he has, is putting Jesus on trial. And he wants to understand, just like today, the nations want to know, who is this Jesus? Is he the king? Is he the king of the Jews? Because that's what they said when they, that's what he heard in the crowds when Jesus was brought to him. So I want to I go into that real quick. John 18, starting at verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? I love that response. That's so good. (laughs) Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You hear that? Not of this world, from another place. You are a king then, Pilate said. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. So he's challenging. He wants to understand Jesus' kingship. And he can't understand it because there's not a world... Example for Pilate to understand who this King is, and Jesus is saying, "My kingdom is not of this world. It's not of it. You you, you can't you don't understand. Like you, you, Pilate's confused because why is Jesus not fighting back? Why are his Why aren't his men and women fighting to stop what's about to happen to him? He doesn't get it. And Jesus says, "Because my kingdom's not of this world. And in fact, my kingdom's not under assault." it's being established right now in this moment and the kings of the earth including you don't know what to do with it because it's a completely different kingdom because I'm a completely different king pilate wasn't expecting a king like jesus he did not know what to do with him all he knew was the kings of the earth of that time of first that first century he knew alexander the great you know he knew uh, Julius Caesar, Octavian, um, Tiberius, who was the, you know, the present um, Roman, Empire, uh, Roman emperor at that time, he knew these kings, and what these kings did, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't position themselves where Jesus was, in this place of weakness, in this place of perceived destruction, no, they lorded over their kingdoms, and they used their power and their authority to make sure that they maintained their power, and they oppressed their people for the sake of their kingdom and for themselves, Who is this servant king? What what is this? Pilate was bewildered, and we still are today at this King Jesus. The Jews also weren't expecting a king like Jesus; they weren't, and you can see it from those that studied the scriptures the closest. They still did not recognize who Jesus was—that he was the promised Messiah, the one to come from David, the one to rule the world the one to liberate the Jewish people. They were looking for a Messiah that would defeat the pagan powers, that would go toe-to-toe with the Roman Empire and put things right. They were looking for a Messiah who would cleanse the temple, rebuild it, return it to its original glory. They were looking for a, a, for a king that would bring God's justice to the world. That's what the scripture spoke to but they did not realize the time of their visitation because they were looking i believe at the kingdoms of the world and think expecting their king to be like these other kings and he wasn't he wasn't at all i want to turn to luke 19 because there was a moment where the jewish people in jerusalem they thought jesus maybe he is that king that we thought they, they thought maybe he is the Messiah and it was when he rode in to Jerusalem and when he rode in He was declaring prophetically through all the things that he did. I don't have time to get into it He was declaring to them. I am the king that you've been waiting on and I'm coming into Jerusalem to rule and reign My kingdom is about to be inaugurated. It's about to happen But it's not going to be the way you think it's going to be Luke 19 verse 36. He went along People spread their cloaks on the road. This is Jesus coming in Jerusalem. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So this is his moment, and some began to believe, and they laid their cloaks down before him. But what Jesus did next in his death and his crucifixion and, and even his resurrection, it bewildered them. Even first century Jewish, Jewish people did not foresee a king that would actually come and die and be resurrected. That was not what they, what they saw and, and they believed the resurrection was something that was going to happen right at the very end, like we see in Revelation when, when all are raised. They did not know that, there, that God himself was going to come and be raised before the end and be the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb that they needed to pardon their sin. They had no clue. And so you kind of get why they didn't understand what was going on. And, but you see Jesus coming in, and he's this new king. And what is he doing? He's not riding in on some proud horse like, like a normal ruler would. He's on a donkey. He's, on a, he's humbly riding on a donkey. This is, this is Palm Sunday, and it's like, what? What is going on? So that's to fulfill a prophecy, but it's also to declare the type of king he is, a humble one. So he's coming, and he's, he's coming on his donkey, and he's weeping. The donkey-riding, weeping king coming in to take his throne. That doesn't make a lot of sense in the world we live in. It didn't make sense in that world either. Why is he weeping? Because he realizes judgment is coming to Jerusalem. He recognizes that they've missed their visitation, and there is going to be this judgment and this hardship, and he doesn't. it breaks his heart to see it. This is the type of king. He, he's a king who said, I, want, I wanted to hold you. I wanted to, I wanted, as a hen holds her chicks, I wanted to protect and shelter you. But you chose, you chose to reject me. And so he's, he's processing this even as he's coming and taking this position as the king of kings, as the king of the Jews. So I want to go through three different components of how I see Jesus as a different type of king. We've already hit a few themes here, but I want to I narrow it down to three specific ones. The first one, Jesus is a suffering king, a suffering king. Now, I mentioned Jesus came to, to die, to suffer for our sins, and he actually came to be the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb. So he came as the chief priest, but he also came as the actual sacrifice on the altar to pay for our sins. A king, all right, let's get this. A king who comes to die, who comes to serve, who comes to lay down his life, not to lord over those that he's over. This is a paradigm shift from the world we live in, but we gotta get this. This is the God we serve. This is the God we worship. This is the God we pray to. In Revelation which, you know, I've been reading some in the past month or two. It says Jesus, when he's in the throne, right, when he's seated at the right hand of God on the throne, how is he, he depicted? He's depicted as a lamb who was slain. That is how he achieves his kingdom. That's how he gets on the throne, through sacrifice, through suffering, through death. Isaiah 52 and 53, these two chapters describe the suffering servant. And it turns out, they, they didn't realize it, you know, when they were written, but these are prophetic utterances about King Jesus, about the Messiah. So I want to read to you, Isaiah, read the whole thing, the end of Isaiah 52 to 53, but I really want to read the uh, one section here. Isaiah 53 verse 4, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. This is the king that we serve. See, earthly kings, they use, they use death and they use suffering. They use them as threats to gain power, to keep their power. But King Jesus, he used death and he used suffering to establish his kingdom. To liberate his children. Completely different view. One's based out of fear. Control. The other's based out of love. Lay down. Sacrificial love. And a desire for liberation. And one's a devir- desire for yourself. a <laughs> Desire to keep and maintain control. Now not only did Jesus do this. Not only did he you know, save us. And this is where it gets a little kingdom here. He modeled what it means, to, what it looks like to advance the kingdom of God. His, his death and his resurrection is a model and an invitation to us to come and suffer, to come and die, to do these hard, challenging things. Why? Because they advance his kingdom, and he gets the glory. And we, you know, in his future kingdom, will get to rule and reign because we considered our lives not our own. And we took up our cross and we followed him. So this is a kingdom model. It's not just Jesus doing it to save us. It's him doing it to pass the baton and say, now you do it. Now come with me. Follow me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You can do this. Come and and die for me because I died for you. And you'll be free all the days of your life when you live like this. Bill spoke, spoke last week. He talked about Peter in John 21. And Peter comes you know, and Jesus is restoring him. And I wanna just turn to that real quick. So Jesus is restoring Peter after his resurrection, and Peter's gonna going to lead the church, right? And he's he's restoring Peter has forsaken the Lord, he's walked away, but God's restoring him saying, No, you're the lead man, you're gonna do this. And what is he he gives them the weird the weird prophetic word that Bill spoke to us last week? It's John twenty one, verse eighteen. Very, very truly, I tell you, is Jesus talking to Peter. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. How's that for a prophetic word, right? like, what? Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death in which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. Follow me. Here's the death you're going to die. When you follow me, come follow me. Let's do this kingdom thing. Let's see my kingdom come manifest, but you're going to do it the way I did it. The servant suffering king. That's exactly how you're going to establish the kingdom. Not by trying to get your influence, your control, keep your power. No, you're going to do it my way, and the kingdom will flourish. And it did. And it wasn't just Peter. All the apostles, just about all of them except John, they all went through well, they all went through suffering, and most of them lost their lives for the, for the sake of the gospel. Paul hits on this theme in 1 Corinthians 4, and he's, he's talking in 1 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 8, about true apostleship. What's it really look like to be an apostle? And he says, he says to them, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and without us, how I wish you had really begun to reign so that we might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like those condemned to die in the arena, we've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to the angels as well as the human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. This very hour we go hungry, thirsty, we are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless, we work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we blessed. When we are persecuted, we endure. We endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Jesus modeled it. Paul said, let's do it. I don't care how it feels. I don't care what it costs. This is how the kingdom advances. Because it's not just about being saved. It's about advancing his kingdom. And this, Paul was, he lived alive. Some of us feel dead because we just agreed with a salvation message and we're just kind of getting by and hanging on until Jesus comes back. But when you agree with the kingdom of God and you participate as he's asked us to, you become alive. And all of a sudden you have a mission. And, and it's not just about hanging in there or trying to be a good or having some personal piety that you can you know, talk to others about or feel okay about. No, it's about the kingdom of God. And you will live in that place. And depression, fear, anxiety, all those things. When you're, when you're in your kingdom purpose, boy, a lot of those things, they, don't, they, don't, they stop talking. They just like, they just get, they get real quiet. <laughs> and so I don't even know why I said that, but I, I feel it. I feel that in my own life, those things get quiet when I'm walking in my kingdom purpose. Um, so first, very first one, um, Jesus is a suffering king. Second point, Jesus is a just king, a just king. Very important. He's a just king. Earthly kings, they promise justice, but ultimately they do the same thing I said earlier. They use their authority to establish order and preserve their own control. They are actually themselves enslaved to sin, and so they cannot actually fulfill their kingly duties without some sort of transformation, which we all know is only in Christ. Now, when I was—I uh, don't know when this was, maybe January— I was reading lots of books to my kids, and I had my daughter, who Fern. She's six years old, and we were we were reading um, this storybook, and it had all these different fables and tales and all these things from like old old days. And so I'm reading to her the story of the Little Mermaid, and so we're sitting there reading it on the train, and and it's like I'm like, oh, this story's kind of messed up. Like I forgot what Little Mermaid was all about, and um, so we're reading it, and it's getting kind of weird, and (laughs) and. And it gets to a point where, if you know the story, you know you have the sea witch lady Ursula, and, and the fable is a bit different than the actual movie. But um, she she basically promises Ariel the mermaid um, like that she can become a human if Ariel gives her a certain gives her her voice, right? Gives her if you, you exchange this, I'll give you what you need. I'll fulfill your desires. I'll give you the justice you deserve. Which is to be a princess, to be in the kingdom, to have the prince, and so she cuts a deal with a witch. Um, Ariel does in order to obtain these promises that the powers of darkness are offering to her. All right, so deal's cut, and in the, in as I'm reading this, you know the deal falls through in the actual fable. So there, there, you know she's trying to be, you know, win the prince over, but he he likes this other gal, and it's not working, and you know. So he gets married to this other woman, and she's like, ah, she's freaking out, like, what am I going to do? And then at the end, I'm reading this to Fern the whole time, I'm like, gosh, what am I reading? At the very end, she, instead of like the Disney movie where everything works out and she gets the prince, and I don't even know what happens, but something better, right? She walks into the ocean and becomes seafoam. That's the end of the story. She walks in the ocean, and she becomes seafoam. That's the curse. And so I'm reading this, and I'm reading it to Fern, and she's like, "She's like, what? Can, can, can you read that again? And I was like, and then she went to the ocean, and she turned into sea foam." And Fern and I are looking at each other, and I'm just like, I shut the book, and I'm like, that's why you don't cut deals with witches. <laughs> that's now you know. This is not what, I'm in a public place, by the way, <laughs> I'm like, Next story, next story. I mean, it was weird. It was weird. Um, but I tell you that that odd story, be, because the the kingdoms of this world and the and, and darkness itself, it will try to cut deals with you, and it will say, "Come and I'll give you justice. Come and I'll give you the things that you want. I'll make things right. I'll use my power my authority to make your life what you want it to be," and you will always be disappointed you will you will have to give something you don't want to give and it will always produce something that is not fulfilling or satisfying that is what the kingdom of the world is like and that is what the king of darkness is like and that is not what our king is like king jesus his kingdom he can deliver what he says he can do he can deliver it and i know it because he paid for it with his own blood with his own life and he walked in our shoes and it's been sealed. It's been done, as Jules was saying this morning. It's been done. This is a different king. This is a different kingdom, and it's one that can deliver. And he'll, he'll over-deliver because we don't even understand. We don't understand what it really means to be in the kingdom with our God. We don't understand what it really means to have a just, good king who rules and reigns over the nations. We've got no clue because we haven't seen it on the earth, but we're going to see it. And you can bank what Jesus says is going to come to pass. He's not a man that he should lie, son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak in that act? Does he promise and not fulfill? He will fulfill. He does fulfill. So Jesus uses his authority to establish justice and righteousness. That's what he does with his authority. Psalm 89 verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. It's the foundation of his throne. That's why, that's what he does with the authority that he has is execute righteousness and justice. Romans eight thirty three. I love this. I love this verse. Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? <clears throat> it is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he is also interceding for us. That's what he's doing with his authority, with his power. He's sitting in the place of power at the right hand of God, and he's saying, pardon them, forgive them, forgive them. My blood speaks a better word, that they will come in the full fellowship communion with I and the Father and the Spirit, and we'll all be one. That's the power. That's the king. Right there, that we serve. And let me tell you, it sounds really great from our side, from those that are redeemed. If you've received Jesus, this sounds awesome. And it is. But what about the justice of God on those that have not been redeemed? What about that? Now, that's something we don't like to talk about because it's not very seeker friendly, right? It's a part of the scriptures that. We don't always tell at the beginning, because it's really not fun to talk about the judgment and the justice of God brought on those that don't align with his kingdom. I want to take us back to Jesus in Jerusalem. What's he doing when he enters in? He's weeping. This is the heart of God, not to bring destruction, not to bring death, to restore, to redeem. That's why he does everything he he does. We have to keep his heart at the forefront when we talk about judgment. But even in that, what does he do? He declares judgment over Jerusalem, and it happens. The, the temple's ransacked. The whole, I mean, Jerusalem is utterly destroyed in 70 A.D. Everything that Jesus said would happen, it does. See, he's the lamb of God, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he is a just God. But there's nothing in his justice that's cruel, that's bad. His heart is good. And it's tough because we see kings on this earth, and they don't model that. And we have a hard time understanding that our God is like that when we read the book of Revelation, when we read these storylines, and they're tough to grapple with. I mean, I have a hard time grappling with them myself. You know, my, my wife, she had, um, she had a dream a few nights ago. And it was weird because I had the dream at the same time. It was a different dream, but same, same sort of parallels. Um, and in her dream, she was like, Cole, I saw this war going on. And it's like our prayers were, were, were helping, like, God to, like, win this war. And it was a war. So, it, I mean, it wasn't fun. But at the end, it was like this beautiful sunset. And, like, what the war achieved was completely beautiful. Isn't that wild? Because wars as we know them on, the, on this planet, they, they may have certain beneficial outcomes, but there's so much, yeah, there's so much destruction, carnage that, that wrapped up in them. But this war, and she was saying the war at the end of the, of the age, the end of the world, it's, there's something so beautiful in it that we can't possibly imagine now. Because we've never seen a truly just war. one that's actually eliminating death, destruction, evil, and liberating the people of God. We've never seen a war like this. But it was, it was crazy because she was like, it was beautiful. And I had a dream that same night. In my dream, I was fishing, which I like to fish. And I don't get to do I have a lot of kids. I don't get to fish much. Um, but in, I was fishing with my daughter, Lilu, which is funny because she's the warrior of the family um and literally her name means is is warrior and she'll fight me too. Uh she, she'll pick her battles. Um but but anyway, I'm fishing with Lilo. I love her. And she uh she's she got like a shrimp or something she has out there and I see this huge serpent in the lake grab this thing. And you know if you're fishing, I don't know, we're in New York. I don't know how many of you fish, but you know you kind of <laughs> you start to see your line sort of go into the water. And I'm like, "Oh, Lelu, set the hook, set the hook." So she sets the hook. And I'm like, oh, you got him. You got him. He's hooked. But he's not coming out yet. I mean, he's huge. Like, your leader's not going to pull this, this, you know, this serpent out. And I thought the Lord speak to me. I don't know if it was in the dream or it was in the morning. It was pretty close by. And say, that serpent, that's the devil. I've got him hooked. <laughs> and I was like, yes, this is great. And it, let's pull him out. Let's pull him out. No, not yet. Not yet. Don't worry. He's hooked. I'm not going to pull him out yet. I got plans. Big plans. I'm the king. And so all I do are good things. So when you get afraid and you get weary, when you feel like the enemy is testing you, pushing you, don't forget he's hooked. Don't forget he didn't even realize what Jesus was doing on the cross. He got duped and now God is using him to fulfill his own purposes. He's a tool in God's hand. He's not comparable. It's not like a left shoulder, right shoulder. Like I'm going to talk to you and deceive you. And no, I'm the light, and we're going to do no. It's like God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Yes. Devil, pawn in His hand to be used for His purposes. This is this is the reality. This is the kingdom. He's got the keys, not the devil. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, so. Moving on, all right, my last point here. So point, my point number one was uh, Jesus, a suffering king. Jesus, a just king, point number two. Number three, Jesus, a commissioning king. He's a king that doesn't just rule himself, but he commissions others to be a part of his kingdom and to rule with him. Any good tyrant doesn't do that. The kings of this world do not do that. They do not give their power to others, but Jesus commissions us to fulfill the things he wants to do. He, he does it through relationship, through partnership. This is a key part of what the kingdom looks like, and it's one that's hard for us to wrap our hand, our head around as well. So just even look, I'm going to read from Matthew 28, but even looking at the story of Easter, you know, the resurrection, the Easter story, It's if it was all just about us being saved, if you read the end of these gospels, it would say that. You know, it would say, and now we know that we can be with God forever and go to heaven. Like, this is what the resurrection did for us. And it, it does imply that in different points. But what the Bible really says at the end of the Gospels is Matthew 28, 18. It gives the great commission. It commissions us. It's a, the resurrection of Christ is a commissioning. It's an empowering. It's not just a, like, now I get to escape and go to heaven. It's, I'm going to read it, because you got to read this stuff to to really get it. (laughs) Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So the resurrection of Jesus takes place and his word to his people is, go, go and die. Go into all creation. Go, go. Now you are empowered to bring the kingdom, to be my image bearers to the earth. Go. It's not run. It's not be saved. It's go and preach the word. Go and lay your life down. It's a different message than the one I learned. It's very different. And so so his his resurrection is not just about this security. It's about empowerment and, and moving us forward. It's about living life now, given that Christ has died for us and now moves through us. So Revelation 1.5, I think, is a, is a great kind of summary of this. Um, so I'm going to read Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood. There you go. Salvation, key point. Loves us and has freed us of our sin by his blood. That's what the cross did. It's what the resurrection achieved. Got it. And, it's important and, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. So he says, you're saved. Your sins your sins, have been wiped away, wiped clean. But now I'm making you into kings and priests. And he is himself a king and a priest. He, he, in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus himself has been made a king as well as a priest. And now he's saying, now you are. Now you're to rule in this kingdom as, in this kingdom as a king and a priest. There's a lot underneath that i do not have time today to go into that maybe i'll get into that next week but we have been called to be kings and priests not those escaping not those hanging on for jesus to come and fulfill what he's going to do and he will fulfill what he's going to do but he says i want to partner with you you're my kings you're my priests it's a very different message he's a very different king worship team could you all um come up please Now, as kings and priests, you know don't, we can't let those titles get to our head, because we are under the lordship of King Jesus. And I do feel sometimes we can do that, and we can promote the authority that we have in God, and we shouldn't downplay it—not a—not a cent. We pray today for healing. We pray for the resurrection of the dead. We pray for—we pray for His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We believe that God has the power to do these things through us, by Him, right? We, we do not we do not downplay that reality, but we are under His lordship. And it, as king, His timing is what we trust and what we follow. We're following His leadership. And so when I say we're a king and a priest, sometimes we say, oh, awesome. But they want to go out and be kings and priests without a covering, without King Jesus, like over them. And they want to wield their authority, and you might see healings. You might see the miraculous. You might see all that stuff. God will move on some of those prayers, but are they following Jesus? And if they're not, they're not truly doing the kingdom work. Even a healing cannot be kingdom work. Is it, is it glorifying God? That's why Jesus healed. That's why he touched people. That's why, that's why demons fled, to give glory to God, to give glory to Jesus. One of our primary mandates here at this house, and we have a, we're gonna have a, an, an orientation for those that are new here after service. Really encourage you um, if you're new, come to that. If you didn't sign up, you can come to that. Um, we're gonna have a recording for those who can't make it, and some people are are gone this week. Um, but we're gonna talk about our the foundation of this house is a house of prayer. We were made to pray. God commissioned this house to pray and intercede for the city, for the nations. That's what we do. And I really believe this, what I'm sharing with you today, understanding Jesus as a king, it, it shifts how, it's going to shift how we pray. Understanding his kingship and his lordship and what he's doing and how what he started when he came to the earth and his kingdom maturing and manifesting at the end when his second coming, that changes how one prays completely. And you realize the work of the cross is finished, but the kingdom of God is advancing and that work is still taking place and he's saying, I want you. I want you to partner with me, to pray this thing through, to be my hands and feet. This is a different, it's not the gospel of salvation. This is the gospel of the kingdom. So I really believe if you pray this way, if you read the scriptures and you see these themes, you'll fall more in love with God and you will, it will change how you pray. It'll change how you live. And it'll, it'll make your prayers worthwhile. It'll make praying a lot more active as opposed to passive praying for what we want, hoping for things like hoping is the wrong word, but maybe the right word would be like complain prayers, you know? (laughs) Oh Lord, please, please just do this. And you know, he hears your heart, right? But he wants you to pray with his authority, knowing his heart, That's why we come here on a Friday and we try to seek his heart before we pray anything. We just want to know you. We want to seek you. Then we can pray your kingdom prayers and we can actually see things come to pass because it's under your lordship. It's under your covering. It's not just us wielding and throwing our authority around trying to be priests and kings with no chief priest, with no king of kings. So I want to close by reading Romans 8. And I, I just feel there's something on this scripture for today, specifically. Um, it's Romans 8, starting at verse 22. And I just feel, even as I'm sharing with you today, there's groanings in, by the Spirit of God, in each and every one of you. There, there's something that's, that is stirring in you today, as I'm even sharing this revelation of Jesus as King. Because you've been made to partner with him to see the fulfillment of his kingdom now. And so I wanna encourage you today, do not suppress the groanings of the spirit that are welling up in you. Don't think, ah, oh, you know, like, you know, it's not for me, you know, it's these, it's these prayer warriors, these intercessions, they can do that thing, like, I, you know, that's cool, but it's not for me. No, like, the spirit of God is groaning in you because he wants to want you to partner with him to bring his kingdom to earth now in our generation. In whatever way he wants to manifest it because i don't know how it's gonna look but i want it romans 8 22. we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time not only so but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies This is the new heaven. This is the new earth. Resurrection life. I'm going to skip to verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but for the Spirit himself, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. If everybody could stand up for me, please. Holy Spirit, we just come and we agree with you right now. If you could, on Zoom, if you could stand up for me as well. Stand up wherever you're at on Zoom. Holy Spirit, we just, we comment and agree with the groanings of your spirit. We agree with the maturing of your kingdom. We agree, Father, to walk in your ways for this generation, in this moment. I ask right now that you would open our eyes to see the mission of the kingdom that you've given us. Corporately, individually, as a city, as a nation, as the nations of the earth under King Jesus. Open our eyes to see our kingdom purpose, our kingdom mission in God. God, I pray that you would transform our prayers, transform our thoughts, transform how we worship, Lord, that we would worship you as the majestic one, as the king of kings, that we'd surrender to your lordship and agree with our sonship. Lord, we surrender to your lordship and we agree with our sonship. Sons and daughters adopted into your kingdom and given important roles to rule and reign, to partner with you, not only in the future, but now on the earth. I just want to repeat this song for you. I think it's called Majesty. It's a song I listened to as a kid and it just kept coming up in my heart when I was preparing this. Majesty, worship his majesty. Unto Jesus be all glory and all honor and praise. Majesty, kingdom authority, flow from his throne unto his own, his anthem rise. So exalt, lift up on high, the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify, Christ Jesus the King. Majesty, worship his majesty. Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. Let's lift up a shout. We've got the King of all kings. He's ours and we're his. And he rules and reigns over the nations. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what we see right now in the natural. He will come again. And he will save and redeem everything that's been lost, everything that's been taken. So as we worship him, I just want you to worship from that reality. Worship his majesty. Worship his authority. Worship him that he sacrificed bring us into his kingdom now and forevermore in jesus name let's worship him